Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that uh, tackles some difficult topics sometimes, sometimes not so difficult. I think we have kind of a combination of topics today. In one respect, it can be a difficult topic, but in another respect, it's kind of interesting um, when we look at it and look at how people respond. We're, of course, talking about trauma and, uh, in particularly, uh, post-traumatic responses. Now, I think most people have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, but I suspect not a lot of people have heard of post-traumatic growth. And we're privileged to have with us Dr. Tedeschi. Welcome, Dr. Tedeschi. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Glad to be with you. Good. Um, You have had, uh, uh, Dr. Richard Tedeschi, I should give your first name, I guess, Uh, you have had a a long uh, career studying things like trauma. What led you in that direction in your career? Well, um, I guess I've always been interested in uh, what makes people do the right thing and the good thing and positive things about people. Um, I've been a faculty member at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, for over 30 years. And um, at the beginning of my career, I was looking at um, things such as how people Um, are of service to their communities and how people um, perform um, behaviors that uh, are good for our environment and things like that. But um, in addition to my uh, research and teaching at the university, um, I'm a clinical psychologist. So um, at uh, at some point in my career, I was trying to figure out how to combine my clinical work a little bit more with what I was doing in my research and I talked with my my colleague Lawrence Calhoun here at the university about um, trying to do some work on wisdom, uh, trying to understand what makes people wise, again, looking at the best of people and how people can do well. And we we started this work by uh, deciding to talk to um, some wise people and find out what they're like and how they think they achieved the wisdom of their lives and whatnot. And we did a study early on where we uh, we um, interviewed people who had, fu- uh, had suffered physical disabilities in adulthood. They had become paralyzed or blind through uh, accidents or uh, uh, different kinds of medical conditions. Um, and we also studied people who were older adults um, who had suffered uh, through the loss of their spouses. And in these interviews we did, um, these people started telling us their stories of loss and and trauma. And also in these stories, um, we discovered that um, many of these people had gone through personal transformations that they found of great value. Um, So their traumatic experiences weren't all... Uh, a bad story of their lives, but also uh, were uh, situations that led to uh, some changes that they really valued. Okay, can could you you know what I whenever I hear about trauma, I think, but hasn't everyone experienced trauma of one sort or another? 
and yet people, some people have PTSD, some people never get past the trauma. The, what defines trauma? You mentioned the death of a spouse. You mentioned, a, a, you know, I think a lot of times when we think of trauma, we think of, you know, witnessing a school shooting or a war. Um, what is trauma? Well, in in the trauma literature these days, there's more talk of of what are called potentially traumatic events. Potentially traumatic events, recognizing that it is hard to say precisely which events are traumatic for people, um, because there's a lot of individual differences in how people respond to different kinds of events. So. Events can be potentially traumatic. They can cause traumatic responses in some people, but it's not inevitable. So um, if we turn from the events themselves to the reactions of people to events in defining what's traumatic, uh, we, of course, have the American Psychiatric Association's uh, definition of what post-traumatic stress disorder is, and they have certain kinds of... um, uh, qualities of people's reactions that um, that define what's post-traumatic stress. So, for example, if you have um, intrusive thoughts or dreams about um, events that happened or you want to avoid any kind of uh, reminders of these events or the, ev- the events uh, kind of change your mood and make you feel numb or depressed or have negative feelings about yourself or others or um you know um if if you have these kinds of things um you know we can say that the event that you went through was traumatic for you uh so that's one way that we can define what's traumatic now in in my work uh we've taken a little different approach to this and um, again this comes because people have taught me and I've listened to people in my clinical work people have taught me some things about uh, how all this works and so we define trauma as something that changes people's basic beliefs about um, themselves or the world they live in or their future Um, if a trauma challenges that basic belief system we have um you know then you know then we've got something that's um a, a truly traumatic event for people because these events are those that um make people rethink what it is that they really believe about themselves and and their their lives and the world they live in so that's another a different way of defining what is traumatic for people Yes, I've always heard of it as being more of a physical and visceral response uh, to trauma that lingers and becomes a psychological problem. Well, certainly um, in the in the immediate um, experience of certain events, there are physical responses that are built into us to help us survive these events. Um, so your your listeners might know of what's often called the fight-or-flight response, uh, mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, to, to fight or to flee are ways of protecting yourself in, in threat and danger. Another response is to freeze. These are the responses that we and, and other 
living creatures all have to protect ourselves uh, from danger. So traumas, uh, another way you can think of them that way is that they are things that are life-threatening and um, we protect ourselves against with these automatic physical responses. If you'd like to join us or if you have a question for Dr. Sadowski, we have the chat room open. You can go there and type in a, a question or a comment, or you can call us, 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430, and uh, we can get some of your questions answered or some of your comments listened to. Um, Dr. Tedeschi, um the way that we're looking at trauma today is different from uh, from post-traumatic stress disorder. is different from how we used to look at it, say, 30 years ago, uh, when we saw it solely as a response to a war situation. Um, as we've changed our definition of post-traumatic stress disorder, have we also changed our definition of what can cause that? Well, um, there are a lot of different potentially traumatic events, as I mentioned. Um, and so, for example, um, I remember one time talking to a fellow who uh, was terminally ill with cancer. And um, I said to him, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that this must be the hardest thing you've had to go through in your life. And he said, actually not. Uh, my divorce was more difficult than this. Oh, wow, we, really? Yeah, right? And he explained, I said, well, tell me, you know, what what you're thinking. And he explained, well, you know, I figure, uh, I, I think he was in his late 60s, and he says, you know, I figured, you know, um, I'm not going to live forever. I can understand that everybody dies some way, and maybe this is the way I'm going to die. Um, he said, but my divorce, I didn't see that coming. Um, and when my wife divorced me, I lost my wife and and my kids, and life was just completely different. Um, It was just something that just blindsided me, and that really changed my whole life. It was hard hard to make sense of it. So he was basically saying the divorce was traumatic because he couldn't make sense of it, and it was so shocking, whereas the cancer was something that he actually could understand, and it it didn't challenge his core beliefs. You know, the divorce did. The cancer, well, he can kind of get his mind around that one. It didn't really challenge that core belief system. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. In your research, have you have obviously found different ways of coping with trauma. What ways do people, it, it sounds like he he certainly has found a way to deal with his, his impending death, but maybe not so much his divorce. What what does coping have to do with trauma? Well, um, there are a lot of individual differences. Again, um, uh, people are different from one another. A lot of differences in how people cope with events of this sort. I can say that in general, trauma experts tend to uh, recommend that people do not avoid what it is that's traumatic for them, but rather face up to it. So generally approaching this, and that means paying attention to what happened, um, 
making sure that you're not um, setting it aside prematurely, um, paying attention to how you feel about it, um, thinking it through. These are things that are generally positive responses to trauma, even though they're hard to do. And to allow yourself to feel things and to think about it uh, and to face up to it, you know, I mean, that's that's pretty unpleasant stuff. So, of course, well, people want to avoid that to some degree, but it's it's better to face it rather than avoid it. Don't you feel that in our, our culture, I, I one of my pet peeves is people who have this, uh, just the just the the think positive and um, anything you want to be you can be if you work hard enough try hard enough and um, don't dwell on the bad stuff you need to forgive forget and move on I lose patience with that because I think sometimes people have to process sometimes you can't forgive and forget but you can still you know it doesn't mean that you have to dwell on it and ruin your life over it um, I, I think that there must be a tremendous pressure on people who've gone through some sort of trauma when they're trying to cope with it um, by friends, neighbors, well-meaning people that they should just set it aside, move on, let it go, you know, that kind of thing. Are you? Do you see that at all? I do. And, and I think the kind of pressure you're talking about from well-meaning others is a result of two things. One is these other people hate to see the people they care about going through such misery and they just want them to get over it as fast as possible because it's unpleasant to see someone go through the misery of it and then the second part of it is I think those well-meaning people also don't want to have to go through the misery of it themselves along with <laughs> the people they care about so it's a lot easier being a friend or a family member to someone who's feeling good rather than someone who's not feeling so well. So there's some self-serving parts of it, too, perhaps. Um, but, you know, the the well-meaning person who encourages the quick fix, I guess is the sort of thing you're talking about, is, um, is actually doing the person no favors. Um, the person who re- is really helpful is the one who's really able to hang in there and, uh, you know, be with the person through the the difficulties of all this while they again face up to what it is that they're really having to go through i think i i appreciate what you're saying about the quick fix i i do see that i i see that self-serving component in a lot of these comments um it's kind of like well i don't want to hear about your difficulties so just go ahead and pretend you're fine um mm. but i also think that there's a lot of blame the victim um, you know, the, this whole idea, of, uh, you know, I, I, every now and then I do motivational talking and speaking, and, and I must say I'm, I think I'm a pretty good motivational speaker, although I don't do it in a traditional way, because one of my pet peeves is that this notion that you can be anything you want to be. Um, and I always sit there thinking, okay, uh, say I'm 80 years old and weigh 300 pounds, I want to be a jockey. Can I be a jockey? I can lose the weight. But am I going to ever be a jockey? So what happens? I mean, I'm willing to work hard for it. I'm willing to try and ride the horse every day. I'm willing to do everything. But I'm not going to be a jockey. So what happens when I'm not a jockey? Well, obviously, I didn't want it badly enough. I didn't work hardly, hard enough for it. I mean, to me, it's almost a blame-the-victim kind of mentality. Well, I guess there's a, um, 
you know, there's a middle path through most things. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, this idea of you can be anything you want to be um, requires some realistic evaluation of your talents and capabilities and persistence and determination and all of that, uh, together with uh, a willingness to put in the hard work on whatever it is that you want to be. Um, So um, I think you have to combine your evaluation of both those things about yourself and come up with something that makes sense to you. Uh, Maybe you're willing to put in a lot of hard work at something, but realistically, uh, as you're saying in your example, maybe you're really not built for it. So um, you may be uh, squandering a lot of effort um, by pursuing that that particular path. Um, Now, if we get back to trauma for a minute and talking about how this works, uh, what trauma often does is it closes down possibilities for us. It removes certain things from our lives. We lose. Um, So the key to um, dealing with trauma successfully often involves finding the alternatives. You know, if something is not available to you any longer, if you're going to lose in this trauma, you know, what can you turn to that will be of value uh, in the absence of, of what it is you're losing? So it's that kind of thinking through things carefully that uh, trauma survivors can benefit from. So when I talk about post-traumatic growth, which I'm most interested in, you know, how people do the best in the, ap- in the aftermath of trauma, um, it involves a lot of careful thinking uh, about how am I going to be, you know, what's the next episode in my story? Um, what is it that I want to be the author of as I write my story of my life going forward here. Um, And, you know, you do have to be realistic. Uh, You can't just say anything is possible. Um, But on the other hand, you also have to be hopeful. So there's this middle ground between those two things that you have to find. Okay. So uh, it sounds to me like that, in fact, is the challenge, is it not? Um, what what you say that you have to decide how you're going to write your story from now on, but is it possible that people are so traumatized that they can't even think that they have a future? Absolutely, and certainly in the early phases of the, the aftermath of trauma, that's where a lot of people are. You know, they really can't see forward. They're just um, preoccupied with um, the thoughts of what they've lost and the and terrible feelings that they have and their anxieties, you know, that's just that's you know that's just a, a very common human response to to trauma and loss that you're going to see in the beginning stages of things. So um, it will take some time after that. And again, people are different and situations are different, but at some period of time after that. Some of that stuff will calm down, and we can teach people how to calm some of that stuff down, but enough that um, they can start to think more deliberately and reflectively about what next. Okay, uh, what do I want to do with this now? Who uh, who am I going to become next? Uh, what's the next part of the story? So 
then people can start to think through it in a more deliberate way and 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 create a, a future for themselves. What in in some of the literature that I read about uh, post traumatic growth, um, it sounds like some people confuse growth. Well. It seems to me that people have some react in some different ways. One is to just endure and get stuck there. One is resilience, where you kind of just get through it and you can still keep living a productive life. But what you're talking about is actual growth after trauma. Am I right, reading right. it right correctly? You're yeah. reading it. You're reading it pretty right. Uh, so. Um, yeah, there are some people who, for whom trauma is something they never really recover from, um, and it, you know those are the people for whom the, these events are they see that as the ruination of their lives. Um, that's 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 less common. That's a less common response, thank God. Uh, but you know there are people like that. Um, and then um, there are the resilient people, as you point out, the people who uh, are knocked back a little bit but get up pretty quickly and get on with it and do pretty well. Um, those are the people who bounce back in the uh, in the aftermath of a potentially traumatic event. Um, but what I'm talking about are people who are um, are heavily challenged by the event, especially, as I said, trying to make sense of it and understand it and and having to rethink what they believe about themselves and their lives in this world. And in that rethinking process, come to new conclusions about how they want to live their lives. And that's a transformative response that that I call post-traumatic growth. And so what makes the difference between how people react? Is there something about their personalities? Is there something about their experience or the type of trauma? What what makes the difference between enduring, um, you know, getting through it and thriving? Well, um, if you could imagine, let's 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 imagine someone who is um, going to take on a great physical challenge, um, and if you are um, very much out of shape and you are weak and unable to take on physical challenges uh, at all, it's it's going to be overwhelming to you. So you're not going to do well. Um, this physical challenge is not going to do anything to change you because you can't meet the challenge. All right. Man. On the other extreme are the Olympic athletes. And they are in such great shape that the great physical challenge is not that much of a challenge to them. So facing this physical challenge for those great athletes uh, isn't going to change them much either. It's not going to provoke any kind of difference for them because they're already at the top of the heap. They've already made themselves into stars in terms of their physical abilities. Okay, so now we've got all the people in the middle, maybe more like people like you and me in most people mm-hmm. in the world. And we're in relatively okay shape. Um, but taking on a physical challenge is neither going to overwhelm us, like the people who are in terrible condition, um, or as the Olympic, with the Olympic athletes, can be something that's 
easy for us either. Uh, that's really not that much of a challenge. It's going to it's going to test us, and if we can rise to that challenge, uh, it can change us into people who are in much better physical condition. And so psychologically, traumas operate on people in a similar way. There are people who are very poorly psychologically adjusted and already have a lot of psychological difficulties, and a trauma will be overwhelming to them, and they'll have a lot of trouble responding to it in any positive way. And then, of course, there are on the other extreme the resilient people, as you mentioned, the people who maybe have already been through traumas, already learned well how to live, uh, have the wisdom of of life, um, that, you know, another situation isn't surprising to them, doesn't really teach them much that they don't already know. Uh, but in the middle ground are most people who um, can be surprised by events and challenged by them and learn something from them and grow as a result psychologically. Okay. So we're kind of predestined as to how we're going to react once trauma hits us? I don't think. I don't like that word. <laughs> I, I say, don't either. <laughs> I wouldn't say predestined. No. Um, there's a, there's a lot of factors. what you're describing is the way we are before it occurs is how, will, will more or less determine our reactions. Well, that's, uh, that's a part of it, okay? Another thing okay. that will determine our reaction is uh, the people around us and how ah. other people respond to it. So in my work, uh, my colleague and I, Lawrence Calhoun, We've we've written about what we call expert companionship. And if we're fortunate enough to have people who are supportive around us in a particular fashion, something like we were talking about a few minutes ago, people who are going to be there for the long haul, who aren't trying to push us into a quick fix, who will listen and recognize that this is a long-term process, and who are able to see, pick up on, and, and reflect back to us the changes, positive changes that are are happening. If we get that kind of companionship, people who are companions to us first, and really, really good at that companionship, expert companions, um, that's going to really help us move towards growth. And um, And Lawrence and I have tried to describe how this expert companionship can be provided by uh, professionals, mental health professionals, um, but plenty of other people as well. Uh, Medical professionals, clergy, friends, family, neighbors, all sorts of people can be expert companions. There are some people who are just really good at this. And if we're lucky to have those people in our lives when we go through potentially traumatic events, um, that post-traumatic growth will uh, happen to a greater extent. Well, and if we don't have those friends, what about professional help? Well, I am a professional, and I recommend <laughs> people like me who are um, who are uh, attentive and, and caring uh, and understand the, the trauma response process. Uh, so you want to seek out a person who who has some experience in working with trauma um, because there are a lot of 
a lot of things about this process that um, uh, people have misconceptions about. And it's important to work with someone who's familiar with trauma and loss and, and uh, be supportive uh, of, of the process, which can take some time to get through. Okay, so how, well, I want to get to that later. How do we find somebody who can help us with that? But Mm -hmm. also, I'm not sure how many of our uh, family members, coworkers, life partners, um, really are equipped to give the level of support that that you're describing, that, that somebody needs after trauma. Am I just, you know, am I just around a people who, a bunch of people who um, are not particularly good at that, or is it really more of a rarity for people to find friends and family members who can provide that? Well, you know, it's it's a funny thing. Um, until you, until you go through a very difficult event, sometimes you don't know uh, who's going to be there for you and who isn't. Um, some of the people that you might think are closest to you, are going to be most helpful and all that, you might find that they're just not there for you, uh, that they disappoint you. Uh, And then on the other hand, there are other people who might rally around you or appear who um, weren't the people you necessarily would have predicted and maybe people you don't even know all that well uh, who respond to you. And it may be because, um, I mean, for a lot of people, um responding to someone in in this in a particular difficulty comes out of their own experience with uh, similar kinds of difficulties and they just you know they have empathy for that person and they really want to help because they've been through something similar um so maybe you start to find uh those kinds of people in your life and you don't even realize you know about some of their history and 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 you learn about that as as they provide some support when I, I want to back up a little bit because I think that as we're talking about empathy and ability to help, I, I think that from what I have seen, a lot of that empathy and ability to help depends, first of all, on the length of time it takes you to snap back because people are very impatient. They're willing to be uh, empathetic. They're willing to be helpful up to a point, and then if it lasts more than you know whatever length of time they're comfortable with, then they don't want it. And yet I've seen people who sometimes take years to bounce back and get to be um, not only where they were before, but then to go on to thrive, as you've described. Um, So people are impatient. Um, And the other thing is is that, you know, this whole type of trauma gets me. Um, I have seen, well, I'm I'm sitting here with an article in front of me, um, and I don't know how to uh, pronounce his name, but it's uh, a physician, an MD, named Nasir Gamay, G-H-A-E-M-I. And he came out with this article last year, and um he was uh, he was critical of the dsm uh, the dsm3 uh which is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders because they radically changed uh the psychiatric definition of post traumatic stress disorder and he advocates that life ad- events are not trauma they're just life events whether or not you agree with that, I think that a lot of people who are in a position to provide support for folks 
um, don't do that because they're not necessarily interpreting the particular trauma that person experienced as a legitimate trauma. That's a long question, but do you understand what I'm asking? Well, that's what I meant before about talking about potentially traumatic events. Uh, We don't know what kind of event is a trauma for a particular person. And that's why I've emphasized the idea that a trauma for a person is something that challenges their core beliefs. Um, So, um, you know, a, a soldier can be in a combat situation, which to us looks pretty scary and traumatic, but they wouldn't necessarily uh, see it as traumatic if it didn't challenge something about their core belief system. Um, You know, it could be difficult and sad or frightening in certain circumstances, but, you know, we're we're talking here about something that has such a profound effect on how a person sees themselves, their identity, um, what they think of the kind of world they live in, what they think their future might hold, those sorts of basic ideas about living. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's how I I would I think of trauma a little bit differently than just a list of here are events that are traumatic and here are events that really aren't. Um, yeah. And because quite frankly, then, I mean, I, there are some what you define as an event that is traumatic isn't necessarily an event that I would consider traumatic. I mean, if I had a particularly abusive mother and she passed away, that wouldn't be as traumatic to me um, as if I'd had this warm, loving mother, you know, that passed away. So I... I, And sometimes when we talk about events, we're really talking about things that aren't necessarily uh, specific, circumscribed situations, but maybe longer-standing circumstances that people are living under. Uh, so there are certain kinds of life circumstances that we can also consider traumatic as well. I was reading a recent study, I can't quote you the author right now, but um, uh, talking about domestic violence victims uh, that have an extremely extremely high rate of PTSD, um, and yet we tend to think of PTSD as war-related or gun-related or you know, that kind of thing. And yet here are all these, you know, survivors of of domestic violence who are potentially running around there um, suffering from PTSD. Is well, yes, PTSD is not just a, a, a reaction to a combat or a violent situation, but it, there can be other, other sorts of uh, events, too, that uh, result in post-traumatic stress disorder. So that... That diagnosis has um, um, been applied uh, over the years to events that go beyond those kinds of violent uh, situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so let's get back to the whole um, um, real focus of your research um, uh, is your post-traumatic growth theory. Um, We're talking post-traumatic growth to, to actually improve one's life after a traumatic event. How many people can actually do that? Well, here's a couple things. I'm not First asking you for a specific number. Yeah, right. <laughs> there are 11 um, people in Chicago. <laughs> right, right. Well, first of all, most people in the aftermath of traumatic events aren't interested in post-traumatic growth. They're just interested in survival. Um, they're just trying to figure out how to get through this and be less miserable, uh, maybe find life worth living. Uh, 
Um, very few people in the immediate aftermath of traumatic events are thinking in terms of post-traumatic growth. Um, I, I did a lot of work for about 25 years. I worked for a nonprofit agency that serves bereaved parents. Um, and so we had sport groups every week. And um, I can only remember one set of parents. There may have been others, but I can only remember one uh, who said uh, the night that their teenage son was killed, they said to each other, this is too horrible a thing for something good not to come of it, and we're going to have to make something good of this. Um, that was one That was one couple. Um, I didn't hear that from anybody else um, who had lost a child like that. Um, so most people are just trying to figure out in the haze of the, you know, the, the aftermath of trauma, you know, how the heck are we going to get through this? And how do I survive this? And am I always going to feel so awful? So that's that's the first thing. Now, after that, um, how many people somewhere down the road start to experience these personal changes that uh, they can later report as post-traumatic growth? First of all, a lot of people don't even recognize these changes in themselves for quite a long time, um, or nobody really highlights them or asks them about them. Um, so they might not even realize in some ways uh, so that they're going through some of these changes unless you, you, know, you kind of poke around and start to talk to them about these things. In general, um, and I always hate to get to these number situations, but uh, in general, if you look across studies that we've done, um, for, uh, for uh, maybe about two-thirds of people in traumatic situations report some type, some aspect or some degree of post-traumatic growth. Um, but there's a lot of variation in terms of what that growth is, what it looks like, how much of it is there. Um, but, you know, you, you get more people reporting post-traumatic growth than you do post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. And that's across the board. I mean, it doesn't matter yeah. what the event was that caused the That's That's pretty much across the trauma. board, yeah. And that's across countries. Uh, I mean, there's been studies of post-traumatic growth internationally now, lots of them. And so... It's it's not an, an uncommon event at all. It's just surprising to people because um, people haven't asked these kinds of questions. People have been most interested in PTSD and other kinds of negative outcomes of trauma. Um, so, you know, when we start to ask people these questions, you get people talking about them, you learn it. When... When we see, uh, for example, I believe the woman who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving, she did it as an aftermath of uh, her obvious loss of a, of a child to a drunk driving accident. Um, right. We see a number of situations like that where somebody goes through something. I guess, I guess Alcoholics Anonymous is kind of like that because so many yes. of the, uh, most of their the uh, leadership, the start of the organization, and their their leadership are all people who've been through this. Um, so is that what we are calling post-traumatic growth, where you take that experience, but then you go out and create an organization or become an advocate for, or is it more subtle? Both. Um, certainly, 
you have a lot of examples of people that start organizations, movements, foundations, um, and do these things because of what they've been through or what a loved one has been through. Uh, and, um, and, and that's turning um, their experience of trauma into an altruistic uh, kind of motive and, and creating something that other people will benefit from. So having a mission of service is often a response that people have to uh, to trauma. So that's part of post-traumatic growth, and uh, that's actually um, you know a very um, useful kind of response because it benefits not just the individual but other people and even society at large. So that's something that we'd want to encourage. But post-traumatic growth can also be very subtle and internal. So, you know, one of the things that some people have said about post-traumatic growth is, well, if you can't if you can't see it, if it's not obvious in terms of behavior like someone starting a foundation or something, then it's not real, it's some kind of illusion. Oh. Um, but um but actually, uh if you talk to people who are trauma survivors who report post-traumatic growth, they often say that um they have a different perspective on life or a different appreciation for life. Um, and, you know, it's not like they broadcast it to other people or other people are uh, particularly aware of this, but they know it because of how they live differently each day. So there are um, these different aspects of post-traumatic growth that we've found people report. Um, one is a change in how people treat others uh, and their relationships with other people. Another is their own sense of their strength and capability. Um, A third is uh, a new possibility for their life where they turn to new interests or devote themselves to some kind of cause or um, try to create something. They, They change their life path in some new way. Um, another is appreciation of life, a greater appreciation for um, life in which they can savor it and and uh, treat it with more care. Um, and then um, and then the last is kind of a sort of a spiritual existential experience where they kind of grapple with the bigger questions of the meaning of life and life's purpose and come to a better understanding of those kinds of things. So um, this post-traumatic growth can show up in very different ways for individuals. And, um, you know, it's it's sometimes hard for the outsider to recognize it clearly in some people. Other times it's quite obvious. So you're describing kind of a, a, a zen kind of thing that can evolve after trauma. Well, in terms of um, sort of... Seeing the seeing the larger existential questions in a new light, I guess you could say that for sure. For example, people reporting um, a greater sense of connection with other people, or a greater sense of empathy, or a sense of harmony with uh, with the world. You know, I mean, some some people. Um, end up in the aftermath of trauma seeing life that way. 
two things strike me about what you said. One is, at one point earlier in our conversation, we were talking about societal expectations that you're just supposed to let go, move on, that kind of thing. Um, And what you're kind of saying is, is that they're really not letting go or moving on. They're just moving in a different direction. It's not like they're rejecting that experience or or pushing it out of their lives somehow. They're just making it into a more productive kind of thing. Am I misinterpreting what you're saying? No, you're not. Um, like I said before, approaching it rather than avoiding it is important. So people who report post-traumatic growth are people who... Um, kind of put themselves up against this experience. I mean, they they have to f- face it. Uh they're not just moving on from it and and acting as if it hasn't happened and not really thinking it through. Instead, they are grappling with it. Uh and taking it very seriously. But it's not just see this is I want to really emphasize this cuz it's not it's not the trauma that we're interested in here so much. It's the aftermath of the trauma. What are people doing in the aftermath of what happened? So it's not trauma that changes people. And traumas aren't good things that produce post-traumatic growth. We're talking about what happens in the aftermath of the trauma. What do people do then? Who who else is around them that's, that's supportive? That's that's the time period where this growth happens. So So the trauma is the thing that just challenges the core belief system to start with. And then people are left with asking the questions like, okay, what now? How do I want to live life? What makes sense? Who am I? What kind of future can I have? What's most important to do? You know, it's the aftermath of the trauma that's the thing that we're studying that's so important. So some people have said to me things like, how can you say traumas are good things? I said, I never say traumas are good things. (laughs) That's not the point. Uh, Traumas are terrible things. Uh, but they do create these challenges that some people meet in ways that they later say, okay, as a result of meeting the challenge, here's how I've changed. Mm-hmm. How is this different from just normal maturing and getting through life experiences? Right. Well, of course, uh, there's an overlap because as you said at the very beginning of our conversation, um, traumas happen a lot. Uh, it's hard to get through life without something happening to you that's a loss, uh, a shock, uh, or a life, major life change. So part of normal development includes dealing with traumatic events. Um now, some of these events are normative in that we can kind of expect that they're going to happen. So, for example, if we live long enough, our parents will probably die during the time we're living. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether that's a traumatic event or not depends on the individual. But for a lot of people, even though it's sad, it's not traumatic because it's expected. And we can say, yeah, I knew my folks would die at a certain time. Um, now, but it depends. So, for example, my father died when I was 17. That's a little less expected, and I think that was kind of traumatic for me. Sure. Um, different from my mother, who died uh, just a few years ago, and she was 
she was 91. <laughs> so that wasn't, yeah. tra- it was bad. I had to see her go through some stuff. But it wasn't unexpected and traumatic in that way. Yeah. Um, so um, all of us have normal experiences with loss and sadness in our lives if we live long enough. Um, so we change and learn from that. But traumatic events are, again, the ones that um, that make us really question things. And it's it's that facing up to those those great questions that creates uh, the opportunity for these changes. Okay. Okay. You also um, were talking about, you know, uh, the getting there, getting there. Um, again, one of my concerns is the timetable. It seems to me like our friends, families, um, sometimes even our therapists expect us to move at a certain pace. And if we, it sounds to me like this process is not a quick process. I mean, does this take months or weeks or years? I've known people who have um, experienced trauma and had very negative consequences in their lives for quite some time, like years, like 10 years, before they were able to mold that into something and then they went on and had very productive lives more interesting lives more um, um, lives that contributed more to those around them but it took them 10 years yeah is there a timetable for this it's a good question because even among um, mental health professionals you see the people who claim they can help people in short order you know, yeah. there are these really quick fixes that people have right about, uh, in therapy. Right like about the time the insurance payments continue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. Yes, exactly. So the insurance companies and the therapists who are funded by them, uh, you know, like the, the quick fix. Um, and But again, there are a lot of individual differences in this. There are some people who can relatively quickly grab onto the fact that this circumstance is forcing them to really delve deeply into some consideration of life change. And they can do that in fairly short order. There are some people who can do that. Um, Depending on whatever circumstance people are facing, it may take a lot longer than that. And so appreciating individual differences is really important. And as you point out, there's some people for whom this is going to take years. And it may take years because they don't have supportive people around them. They don't have people who are willing to address these things with them. Maybe they had people who kind of pushed them into some kind of solution that really didn't work for them. Uh, who knows? And only late, much later on can they go back and reconsider what's happened and and move in a different direction with it all. So... You know, I I don't like to talk about a particular time frame as um, the sort of touchstone to uh, what happens in, in with people who report post-traumatic growth. Um, but it is it is the case that there are some people for whom it happens relatively soon, um, and people for whom it's much longer. I would say though that in general. Um, for most people, uh, depending on the trauma, several months or a couple of years, something like that, uh, would capture 
these kinds of uh, responses in the vast majority of people. So uh, I, I can say that much about it. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is, it's not going to be in two weeks. It's not going to be necessarily when your friends, neighbor, family expect you to move on. Um, when I mentioned earlier about, you know, people are impatient. They are willing to be nice and supportive and understanding as long as it fits on their calendar. Um, right. But then at some point people decide, okay, you need to be done with that now. I, I have a friend who was widowed. And um, she said the first year, even, she got a lot of support and empathy and, you know. But after a year, it was like, okay, you want to start dating again? Are you ready to do that? And when she wasn't, um, patients, you know, people lost patience. They no longer gave her that support. As a matter of fact, they started pressuring her uh, that she had to behave a certain way at this point. Um, So are we seeing that with with post-traumatic growth as well? Well, I think the, one of the things that uh, concern me is, as I talk about post-traumatic growth, is the idea that uh, that becomes some kind of uh, some sort of bar that people have to cross, and you know, if you're not claiming that or reporting that, that there's something wrong. There isn't anything wrong with that. First of all, again, you know, we we're just taking a snapshot in time. So right now, if you're not reporting that, that doesn't mean you might not get there later. Secondly, not everybody uh, re- reports that because some people are resilient and, you know, there's they they have figured some things out and, you know, this kind of growth is not something that's kind of necessary for them, I guess we could say. Um, you know, I wrote a, um, just came out with a workbook, a post-traumatic growth workbook myself and uh, Brett Moore is a psychologist with the Army down in San Antonio. And in our workbook, we uh, we point out to people that this process is something that um, you have to take some time with. So if you're going to use our resource, um, you know you don't rush through this. That you take some time to really think through things and, and consider things carefully. Um, so you know if if a person has a good expert companion and they use our workbook and you know, they take their time with it. Uh, they're going to have a whole lot more success. But, you know, a lot of people um, don't have those things at their disposal. And um, it may take uh, quite a few, you know, months or years down the road before, you know, they entertain this possibility of, you know, what what am I going to do with this situation I'm in uh, rather than let it just consume me? And sometimes the pain is so great that you can't think of that immediately. Exactly. But what can we as friends and neighbors and support people do to help encourage that instead of apply pressure to our particular timetables or our expectations of what it means to move on? The most important thing is your presence and your ability to listen. I mean, it sounds simplistic. Um and it may sound to some people like you're not doing anything. But frankly, just being willing to be there and to listen are two crucially important things. Without that, nothing else is going to happen. Okay, so beyond that, um, you can uh, recognize in a person where they can't see clearly themselves 
some of the changes that I've mentioned as post-traumatic growth. So um, you can, as a good expert companion, say to your friend or family member who's in the aftermath of trauma, if you if you recognize something, you can say, you know, I noticed something in you that you might not have noticed in yourself, and that is, you know, you're really you're really grappling with some very big questions now. You're really thinking through things in a in a very different way. Um, you know, this is a real change in you as a result of having to go through this. So you can point something out like that. Um, and um, it sounds to me like when when we raise children, we always say, "Catch them doing the good things." Yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. So you you kind of highlight for them uh, the the changes and growth that you might see that um, they might not be aware aware of themselves. Yeah, I I you know I, I'm looking at our clock, uh, Doctor Tedeschi, and I'm going, "Wow, our time is up, almost." And uh, I do want you to give out your website or whatever if people want to learn more about your research or your workbook that you're talking about. Where would they go? Uh, a website they can go to is traumaandgrowth.com. Okay. Traumaandgrowth.com. And um, there's another website that's more for researchers through the university, uh, and that is uh, PTGI. Dot uncc.edu. Okay, give that again. PTGI.uncc.edu. Okay, so that, all right. That has some so research if you're really information. interested, in, yeah, if you're interested in in the reading the latest research, that's the place to go to. Um, yeah. Do you have a uh, suggestion for people who might be looking for a therapist or a counselor uh, who has some expertise? Is there any kind of accrediting organization or anything, that, any questions that they should ask if they're searching for a, a counselor or a therapist to help them? Okay, I would suggest you go to the website of the uh, International Society of Traumatic Stress Studies, or ISTSS, istss.org. So that's those are people who are who study and work in trauma. Uh, not all of them know about post-traumatic growth, but many will. Um, okay. So that's one thing. Uh, and then the American Psychological Association has a uh, psychologist locator service. That's APA.org. And um, there's a division of APA called Trauma Psychology, uh, where most of people like us reside. And so you can try to find a good trauma therapist through that. Yeah, good. So there are some resources. I've had a very good time talking with you. I've I've learned a lot, um, and I appreciate your research. One of the uh, things that I try to do to uh, uh, end every show is to have a quote. And my quote for today is from Jennifer Brown, who wrote a book called Hate List. I think it's just uh, popular literature. But she said, just like there's always time for pain, there's always time for healing. And I think that that kind of makes sense. Just like there's always time for pain, there's always time for healing. And that's what it's all about, I think. Uh, Dr. Tedeschi, thank you so much for being with us and uh, telling us about your some of your research and some of your thoughts and knowledge about post-traumatic growth. Uh, when I saw that phrase, and, and it surprised me that you actually came up with your post-traumatic growth theory in the 90s, because I haven't heard a lot about it. Um, and it seems to me that, that you know, 
we we make an error there by not talking about this post-traumatic growth because just as life can teach us to be better human beings, I think sometimes trauma can as well. Just my two cents worth. Join Thank us you. next week in Three Women, Three Ways. We're going to be talking about humor, and in particular women's humor. I think that's a pretty good way to uh, wind up the year. So join us on the 31st for that one. Thank you for joining us, Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week as we tackle yet another topic. Thank you. Bye-bye.